The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Too Much Information is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that brings you the secret histories and little-known fascinating facts behind your favorite movies, music, TV shows, and more. We are your showmen of the showcase showdown-related facts. My name is Jordan Runtog. Wow. <laughs> that was a, That's an all-timer. Thank you. And I'm Alex Seigel. And we're here to invite you to come on down because we're talking about The Price is Right. <laughs> yes, the beloved television mainstay, which is required sick day viewing when I was a kid, premiered 50 years ago this very month. And it holds the record for the longest-running game show in TV history. As a little kid, I adored this show so much because it was so colorful and loud and vibrant. It was like a casino on TV every day. Despite its retro music and set design, the rapid-fire pacing of the show with the onslaught of games and prizes and cameras careening wildly around the studio audience, it feels kind of ahead of its time in a funny way. What about you? What do you think about this show? Was this something you were into or was this just too too kitschy for you? I I was not a game show guy until right, right. until until Millionaire. And yeah, just not a game. I mean, I knew Bob Barker from spaying and neutering your pets and because of uh, Happy Gilmore. (laughs) There's one thing I know about kids. They love to talk about spaying and neutering their pets. (laughs) You know, I have to admit, I have not watched this show since the departure of Bob Barker after 35 years in 2007. Uh, No shade to Drew Carey. He had this theory about the show's longevity. Talking to the LA Times in 1990, he said the reason it was so popular originally and why it's still popular is because of the powerful basic premise of the show. Everything is based on prices. Everyone (laughs) identifies with prices. The minute we put something up for bid and the contestant makes a bid, the viewer is involved. Once you become involved, we've accomplished what the producer of every game show wants. Viewer involvement. The Price is Right has that to the nth degree. I would agree with that to a certain extent. Some of that? Prices aren't very sexy, but viewer involvement, sure. I just like, 
<laughs> it's the Harry Styles. The thing I like about this movie is that it's a movie. It's, it's yeah. the similar spirit in this explanation. Everyone identifies with prices. I, yeah, I mean, okay. I just think it was appealing for me, and one of the reasons at least, is because it was one of the most raw, unscripted-seeming shows on television. It almost had a touch of the Jerry Springer with just, you just saw this like crowd of chaotic seeming people jumping up and <laughs> yeah. down screaming most of the show and like in a pre-reality tv era that was fun to watch well from the surprising role that bob barker's gray hair played in ratings a plinko accident that cost producers 30 grand the time a woman nearly gave birth in the audience and the other time the mom from the brady bunch had a car accident live on stage to the scandal that nearly shut down production on the show and the potential mini feud between bob barker and drew carey here's everything you never knew about the price is right Now, first things first, the version of The Price is Right that we all know and love with the colorful sets and the fail horn and the audience of overzealous pricers and Bob Barker and all that, that was actually called The New Price is Right when it premiered in September of 1972. And that's because the original version of the show debuted in 1956 under the stewardship of host Bill Cullen, who's the so-called dean of game shows because he hosted a truly astonishing 35 of them in his career. However, this early version of The Price is Right was not very interesting. It was originally a black and white show on primetime NBC consisting of four people bidding auction style on items. And this approach was about as boring as it sounded. It went off the <laughs> air in 1965, but by the dawn of the 70s, a pair of producers named Mark Goodson and Bill Todman wanted to revive the show for daytime. And this plan was met with resistance because the show seemed so outdated and bland. They really needed to zhuzh it up. So they looked at the most successful daytime game show that was out there at the time. That was NBC's Let's Make a Deal, which was this very active audience participation show with a circus-like atmosphere. You had colorful flashing lights and sound effects and enthusiastic crowd members in crazy costumes who were called up to play this rotating series of very, what's the word? Uh, Sexual. Yeah. A very eye-catching game. So this new version of The Price is Right incorporated some of these elements from Let's Make a Deal, which is ironic because following Drew Carey's ascent to the Price is Right hosting gig, Let's Make a Deal is revived with his Whose Lines It Anyway colleague, Wayne Brady, as the new host. Anyway, The Price is Right premiered on September 4th, 1972. We just missed the 50th anniversary. And they used the title, The New Price is Right, for the entire first season. And amusingly, the producer behind it, Mark Goodson, was not very optimistic about the show at first, even though he pitched it, because it was so heavily dependent on sponsor plugs and prize copy. He felt that the audience would lose its patience with these endless prize descriptions. But the show was designed in such a way that it held the audience's attention. Again, all the lights and the sound the effects and the quick cuts it's very very eye-catching uh some of the creative folks who worked on the show are masters in their fields the person who wrote the iconic and awesomely retro theme a guy by the name of ed kalehoff is the same guy who did the theme music the nickelodeon's double dare and abc's oh. monday night football right wow. yeah yeah and that theme remained constant and unchanged for the 35 years that bob barker hosted the show it was a glorious anachronism on daytime tv Weirdly, for something that sounds so showbizy and flashy, it was recorded in London. I can't articulate why, but that doesn't huh. doesn't sit well with me. The show's Las Vegas Midway style set was designed by a man named Don Roberts, 
who also designed the sets for the legendary TV shows like All in the Family, Different Strokes, mm-hmm. Jefferson's, Good Times, One Day at a Time, Who's the Boss, and Married with Children. I just find it so crazy that the person who designed the set of The Price is Right also designed Archie Bunker's Living Room and the uh, and the Bundys. That's Isn't that okay. wild? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not just here to learn. I want to do this all in your in your game show announcer voice. But you're not just here to learn about the behind the scenes folks on this cherished game show. You want to know more about the face of the Enterprise. Mr. Bob Barker. Mr. Bob Barker. <laughs> I was doing Oprah, I guess. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the most beloved names in television. He's been around so long that you would be forgiven for believing he was simply born on a TV soundstage holding a weird-shaped mic. But Barker actually grew up on a reservation in South Dakota and is an official member of the Sioux tribe. He's an eighth Sioux. Incidentally, uh, (laughs) nope, not incidentally. No segue there. The Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor five days before Bob turned 18. (laughs) I could have written a better transition there. I'm sorry. Nope, nope, that's perfect. Because Bob enlisted in the Navy and served from 1942 to 1945. He didn't see combat. Um, He said, I was all ready to go, but when the enemy heard that I was headed for the Pacific, they surrendered. He's he's a good quote machine, I gotta say. This may not be hyperbole, however, (laughs) because Bob Barker could kick some ass. Yeah, Bob apparently studied martial arts for years under Chuck Norris, um, Walker, Texas Ranger. He of all of the uh, recycled Bill Brasky jokes from uh, early days of the internet saying Chuck Norris, Bacon, Epic uh, Win. I don't know. Just say Walker, is... Texas Ranger. <laughs> just, 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 just watching you punch yourself out of the room. Just say slavery. Just say Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid. Uh, what else is he in? I don't Am want... I missing an action? Anyway, Chuck was a guest on... Bruce Lee stuff. Yeah, yeah, Return of the Dragon. Um, Chuck was a guest on Truth or Consequence, which was Bob's pre-Price is Right show, and he was so impressed. He was so impressed with Chuck's demonstration of, of karate, <laughs> the art of the empty hand. <laughs> and he figured, uh, you know, I'll give it a go myself. I was in the Pacific. Uh, I can, I can, I can do it. Bob's an athletic guy. He attended Drury College on a basketball scholarship and uh, took to martial arts quickly. According to an article in the Washington Post, he holds a red belt in karate and two red belts. Yeah, apparently. Well, and uh, Tang Soo Do, which is uh, Korean, but this is from the '90s. So uh, yeah, Bob could be a black belt by now. Yeah, I've seen some unverified listicles that say he's a black belt now. In, At age ninety six, yeah, Jesus God, um, and knowing all this, it should come as no surprise that he refused to stunt double for that famous cameo in Happy Gilmore, in which he beats the crap out of Adam Sandler. Barker actually agreed to star in the film when he found out that he would, in fact, win the fight. Um, weirdly, throughout the two thousands, The Price Is Right was actually produced and directed by a guy named Adam Sandler. <laughs> Not the no same, relation. yeah. Or is it? Uh, (laughs) In addition to his turn in Happy Gilmore, Bob Barker has made cameos on The Nanny, Futurama, Family Guy, How I Met Your Mother, The Bold and the Beautiful, a 1960 episode of Bonanza. That's awesome. (laughs) Just one? I think just the one, yeah. One and done. Bob didn't even... 
<laughs> Bob didn't need it more. Always leave him wanting more. And SpongeBob SquarePants, where he voiced a character named Bob Barnacle. Bob began his entertainment career in radio just after his stint in the Navy, working at stations in Missouri and Florida. And apparently he got his first job after learning that the station manager had a major fascination with planes. So Bob went into his interview decked out in his Navy airman outfit and all his brass and dazzled the guy with talk about aeronautical daring for 45 minutes until he got the job. His big break in TV occurred in 1956 when he was tapped to host the game show Truth or Consequences, which ran until 1975, so almost 20 years. So he was already a very familiar face on TV by the time The Price is Right came his way in 1972. And amusingly, he initially didn't want to take the job. Truth or Consequences was a very audience participation heavy show, similar in structure, sort of, to The Price is Right. And Bob didn't want to get pigeonholed as a one-note host. (laughs) Not even just being pigeonholed as a game show host, being pigeonholed as a game show host who specializes in audience participation. I guess there are gradations in the game show host hierarchy. But eventually, Bob was convinced he took the gig, which went on even longer than Truth or Consequences, 35 years. In fact, he broke Johnny Carson's record for hosting the same show. Ooh. Yeah. This brings us to the matter of Bob Barker's hair, which was, in its own way, if I may say, quietly radical. (laughs) I've personally only ever known him as a silver fox. In fact, the sight of him with jet black hair in old photos is jarring to me, and I find him somewhat unrecognizable. TV executives like their on-air personalities that have a certain look and can be quite controlling about it. You hear stories of actresses having it written to their contract that they can't cut their hair and everyone's supposed to maintain a certain weight. I imagine David Letterman's massive Rick Rubin-style beard that he has now is a reaction against that, too. So when Bob Barker started going gray, the network had some thoughts. Bob later told the LA Times, I was prematurely gray. I began the gray at my temples. And I guess it could be the technology at that time was not what it is today. And I did not look good. It looked like I had no hair at my temples. So they suggested I tint it. And that's what he did for many years. And that's how audiences knew him. Then Bob went on vacation in 1987 and decided not to bother with the hair dye. And he wound up getting lots of compliments from people on the gray. And feeling all gassed up, he went to the network executives and asked permission, which I still find hilarious, to stop dyeing his hair. And they agreed, and the audience response was overwhelming. They thought it was, in a strange way, brave, which, again, is hilarious. He was greeted with a massive ovation in the studio the day he walked out for the first time with his gray hair, and the ratings noticeably improved. And the funny part was, because of the way they taped the show, it basically appeared that Bob went gray overnight over the course of a single day. Yeah. He got a letter from a guy that said, Bob, you must have had one hell of a night. <laughs> well, he chose the false grail. <laughs> he chose poorly. <laughs> the other funny part is that once it went white, I guess the makeup people took weeks and weeks to find out what makeup looked good for him on camera because Aww. suddenly like his whole color palette was off. Anyway. But arguably more than his perfectly quaffed white hair, Bob's greatest trademark, to me at least, was his (laughs) sign-off for each episode. This is Bob Barker reminding you to help control the pet population, have your pets spayed or neutered. Bob Barker is one of the most famous animal rights activists in Hollywood, and he's been doing it long before it was fashionable. He credits his late wife, Dorothy Joe, for sparking this passion, much like Linda McCartney sparked Paul's. She was apparently very into vegetarianism decades before it was mainstream. 
And their love story is sweet. Bob met his future wife when he was just 15 years old. I guess they were high school sweethearts. Aww. And for their first date, they attended an Ella Fitzgerald concert. Aww. Which is awesome. Also, damn, they're old. <laughs> it's going to be 99 this year. They were married from 1945 until her death in 1981 when she was only 57. And Bob said he's never had the inclination to remarry. But it's funny. I guess the first one bid prize ever offered on The Price is Right during Bob's tenure was a fur coat. This would change as Bob's love of animals suddenly began to impact the production. He started ending each episode with this famous reminder to have your pet spayed or neutered in 1982. And he insisted that all the showcases, you know, the big plethora of prizes that you could bid on at the very end of the episode, you know, there'd always be this huge assortment of stuff, uh, would never have anything that involved animal products. Sometimes they were themed, and if they were, they wouldn't have anything to do with rodeos or zoos or even circuses because Bob felt that all these exploited animals. They stopped giving away aquariums, stopped giving away fishing rods, and even the prop food in the prize refrigerators or grills would all be plastic veggies instead of meat. Hmm. And for years, they even refused to give away General Motor cars when it was discovered that GM used live animals in crash tests, which is a practice that they've since stopped doing. And Bob's activism extended beyond the prices, right? I didn't realize this. He hosted the Miss USA and Miss Universe pageant from 1967 until 1987 when he resigned over a disagreement over fur coats. He also donated $2.5 million to renovate a Los Angeles building to become PETA's West Coast hub, $1 million to Columbia Law School to fund the study of animal rights, and he purchased 460 acres of land in California to be used as a donkey sanctuary. That's just adorable. <laughs> but this is slightly less adorable. Well, yeah. Bob has also given a whopping $5 million to Marine Wildlife and Environmental Protection Group called the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, who have been dubbed eco-terrorists by the Japanese government for their hands-on direct action tactics in trying to end the practice of whaling and sealing. Their uh, leader was voted out of Greenpeace for being too confrontational. They have claimed to have sunk 10 whaling ships and destroyed millions of dollars worth of equipment and interfered with seal and whale hunts by shining laser lights at them, throwing bottles of foul-smelling butyric acid onto vessels at sea, boarding whaling vessels to protest while at sea, and seizing and destroying drift nets at sea. Bob gave these folks $5 million to purchase an anti-whaling vessel capable of disabling whaling ships by ramming. The Sea Shepherd Conservation Society named the ship the Bob Barker in his honor. <laughs> and whips. The last thing a bunch of whalers see is a giant <laughs> ship emblazoned with Bob Barker's name heading right to them. I hope they have like the old timey like mermaid at the front of it, but it's Bob Barker. <laughs> <But> it's Bob. <laughs> just this silver, silver coiffured man in a suit just wipes your ship out and you sink. Them. They're whalers. What is it, Moby Dick? Mm. I agree with them. I'll buy them a ship. They can call it the the the, the Bruce Springsteen's best album is Nebraska. The USS Bruce Springsteen's best album is Nebraska. Uh, what's the deal with those microphones? Segway. Yeah, from the world of eco terrorists, we go to the world of microphones. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, you know, this is honestly the other thing that I associate with Bob Barker, other than hair and beating up Adam Sandler, is those that weird thin-stemmed microphone. Um, and that is the point. Uh, apparently, producers went for them because they looked less intimidating to contestants, and uh, this would put them at ease, since most people who are on game shows have never had a microphone thrust into their face before and uh, i guess your normal what is that probably an sm58 probably uh having one of those jammed in your mouth feels a little aggressive it just feels like you're on like late night news you know film at 11 type things where you're being interviewed at like a crime scene or something it's just it, it, it feels stressful these thin ones are just goofy looking one of the other reasons is because they pulled people from the audience and immediately had them start playing so they couldn't use clip-on mics or boom mics so it was easy for him to control the audio feed by just pointing at this thing rather than having to wait for people to get like lav mic'd up or whatever. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I guess also the common thing that a lot of people do when a microphone is put in their face for an interview is to reach forward and grab it. And that inclination is tamped down by having the big skinny one. And yeah, you know, the other thing is that uh, with the long telescoping neck, you can hold it much lower, uh, which, yeah, I guess... Looks better than having your hand right up by your chin. Yeah. Drew Carey has continued using these microphones since taking over as host in 2007. A nod to tradition. Speaking of ongoing traditions, the famously bespectacled Drew Carey opted to get laser eye surgery soon after taking over as host on Price is Right. That was such a trademark of his show. Ah, Drew. But, uh, you know, he took the prescription lenses out and uh, just continued to wear the frames. <laughs> In the manner of uh, poser. It's the opposite of Clark Kent. Yeah, it's like it's when true. he takes them off, he's anonymous and then puts them on <laughs> and he's super Drew. I guess things got so bad that in June of 2008, producers issued a policy that forbids audience members from wearing fake eyeglasses like Drew's, uh, which I guess they've, they've backed off on wisely. I wonder why that is. I mean, I wonder if it's just like. He thought the cameraman gets confused. It's the, oh, yeah. chi <laughs> the chimp that they have right in the camera is like, suddenly thrown into a rage <laughs> just like what let him wear their glasses it's just somebody who like honestly is wearing glasses that just happen to look like drew's like take them off take them off take them off break his legs we're gonna take a quick break but we'll be right back with more too much information in just a moment everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Yes, this all gets us to the larger question of how do you get on the show in the first place? Well, to start, it ain't easy. Some hopefuls have to wait upwards of four hours in a massive line before being allowed onto the set, and then you have got to go through the taping, which can run upwards of 90 minutes. On one hand, it's cool to watch a television taping, but on the other hand, it's 90 minutes of excruciating suspense while you wait and see if you're going to get the call to come on down. So, kind of a slog. Now, contrary to popular belief, contestant names are not chosen at random. There are interviews beforehand during this massive multi-hour period to determine which nine contestants will get the call out of approximately 325 audience members. And it helps if you impress a man named Stan Blitz. Since 1979, it's been his job to talk to every person in line who wants to join the studio audience for The Price is Right. He sizes them up in 20 seconds or less to see if they have what it takes to come on down. And he explained what he looks for in a potential contestant in an interview with the New York Post. He said, I'm looking for energy, sincerity, and potential humor. And if they can equal my energy or exceed it and maintain it, they're at the top of the list. And it's obviously difficult to put this across in 20 seconds when you're responding to three questions, your name, where you're from, and what you do. But the producers are serious when they say they're looking for enthusiasm. The audience members are expected to clap and cheer relentlessly. They often clap basically nonstop for hours on end. And more than that, the audience members are expected to keep clapping even during commercial breaks. Apparently, the show just keeps the music on and the audience members are just supposed to keep on clapping. One writer who attended a taping has said that by the time the show taping was over, his palms were like two hamburger patties. That is disgusting. No, I can't abide by that. I don't even no. like being told to cheer. Like during concerts when like everybody yeah. clap your hands? You can't do that. I hate it. No. It has to be organic. And I tell you one thing that drives me up a damn wall is people going, how are you doing? And you get the obligatory. Like, oh, and they get, we can oh, do better on, than Let's that. Let's try that again. Yeah. I, I, if I had a gun, I would shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> so all this... <laughs> Clapping and false bonhomie—is that how you pronounce yeah, that? Yeah, bonhomie. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, is uh, not the biggest problem in the world because the audience can get pretty rowdy. In fact, it gets so loud that contestants almost never hear their call to come on down, and producers need to hold up cue cards with individual names on it. And when the contestants do come on down, the camera crew is remarkably quick at finding them in the audience. Former Price's Right executive producer Mike Richards. 
Yes, that Mike Richards, who went on to ruin Jeopardy, more on him later, is quoted by BuzzFeed as saying, we're expert Where's Waldo players. We've seen the pictures of the contestants, and they each have numbers on them. So sometimes that dictates where they're sitting. This all sounds very sinister. We, are th- we then have a grid of the audience that we hand to the cameramen so they know where they're going. Mm. <laughs> sounds like some James Bond thing. All right, here's your target. <laughs> Now, for years, the man responsible for issuing the famous call to come on down was the show's announcer, Rod Roddy, a beloved presence on the show for his booming voice, Bill Haley-style spit curl, maybe more of Roy Orbison, and his Liberace-esque loud suits. He took over from original announcer Johnny Olson in 1985, but it took a while for the whole suit thing to catch on. He later told the AV Club that he started wearing Thai silk suits from Bangkok in order to keep pace with Bob Barker, who was known as kind of a natty attired gentleman, a natty uh, dresser, I'm a gonna, real dandy, I'm gonna, a real Jim Dandy. I'm going to tell you one thing, that guy was not going to Bangkok just for the suits. He went there several times a year. Ha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Yeah, um, no great segue for this after that. <laughs> health, health, health problems plagued his final years on the show, and he was reportedly diagnosed with colon cancer, apparently on September 11th, 2001. Whoa, I feel so sorry for intimating he was a sex tourist, which he probably was. <laughs> Holy sh- can you imagine getting... You go home and you're like, what now? <laughs> I've all, I've seen that and I've also seen that he just had surgery that day, but I've seen both. But yeah, that that is that's quite a that's quite a thing. And he ultimately died of male breast cancer in 2003, and he was a staunch advocate for men receiving mammograms as well. So that's our our PSA for this episode. Uh this brings us to the <laughs> the real star of the price is right. <laughs> not sex tourism, not September 11th, not male breast cancer, the prizes. Business Insider reports that a team of 20 people look up what's popular and given in the zeitgeist uh, so that they can choose the prizes. To keep the price continuity uniform throughout the show, producers get the retail prices from the same group of retailers largely based in California. The coastal elites deciding the rest of the country's actual retail once price. Once again... Holy shit. Fight the real enemy. Rips up. Rips up image. Picture of Bob Barker. No, Drew Carey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What was I talking about? A brand new car! (laughs) Of course, the major prize on The Price is Right are the brand new cars. And there are a lot of them. At any given time, The Price is Right has between 37 and 45 cars on a special lot at the CBS Television City Studios. Not to mention boats, jet skis, trailers. Uh, former executive producer Mike Richards told... Did you already mention him as the guy who ruined Jeopardy? Okay. Yeah. Mike Richards told uh, BuzzFeed in 2013, we do six shows a week, and each episode, for the most part, has three cars in it. So we're through 18 cars in a week. Then the next week, I don't want to see the same car. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you don't, buddy. And I don't think our viewers do either. So then you've got to have a whole other set of cars. Yeah, so that's probably one of, probably what the, you know, the biggest uh, brass ring and Price is Right is the new car, right? But um, you don't get one. You don't get to drive away with them. They're just, you don't get it. They're just for display. 
Um, so what happens is the production contacts a dealership in your hometown and brokers a deal for you there. And then after the cars appear on the show, they go back to the dealer who supplied them. So, which means that if you live in the LA area, you may be driving a car that was featured on the price is right, which I think is pretty cool. So each show has roughly 30 prizes in it, not counting the stuff like grocery items. So when you're doing 190 episodes a season, that is a lot of stuff. The team calls it the fire hose of prizes, which is fed from three separate warehouses on the CBS Television City lot, which includes a 30,000 square foot facility. Again, to take it back to Indiana Jones, it's like where they stowed the, the Ark. Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> And there's been some crazy stuff over the years. Someone's got a Ferris wheel. Another contestant won an island on the St. Lawrence Seaway. Uh, back in the 50s version, a woman won a peacock to go with her color TV set, which is a play on NBC in, the, you know, in living color. They had a peacock. Remember? Remember networks? Remember television? <laughs> Finally, in 1958, a man named Carl Slater won a dining room set, a young horse, What's the differentiation between a young horse and a pony? I would imagine size. Mm. A suit of armor and a trip to a castle in Scotland to see the origins of the armor. How about that? Good for Carl. Uh, you know, the bad news is uh, obviously there's a dark side to all this because <laughs> this is America. This is a show about, um, you know, capitalism. <laughs> prices. <laughs> the essence of the prices, right? His <laughs> prices. As Bob Barker said. Keynesian game show. <laughs> you gotta wait for a while to get it, so don't bother to show up to your taping with a U-Haul. The prize department doesn't start working with contestants to get prizes until after the show has aired, which can be upwards of three months later. So if you're looking to forestall your house foreclosure with your Price is Right car, it ain't gonna happen. But, as with everything, the real kick in the teeth comes from the taxes. Winners have to pay taxes up front on the full retail value of the item before they're given access to said item. And as a result, a lot of the people who win decide not to accept the prizes. ABC News interviewed a few contestants about how much they had to pay in taxes uh, after being on the show, with one guy saying he won $57,000 in prizes but had to pay close to $20,000 in taxes. Another contestant turned down his $10,000 cash prize because he didn't want to give half to his ex-wife. That's the Oprah thing, too. You know, when she gives everybody a, a new car, you got to pay taxes on that car. I think, like, like before you leave the studio that day. Yeah, you show up to yeah. a taping, you're thinking, this is just be Stead. We're going to talk about, you know, Stedman and Dr. Phil's going to come on. And <laughs> now all of a sudden I got to pay ten grand. grand. Yeah, for a car I didn't even ask for. Yeah, so. That's what they don't tell you. It's how they get you. That's how they get you. I cannot believe we have made it this far without talking about The Big Wheel. One of the most familiar sites on The Price is Right is The Big Wheel, used to decide who gets to progress to the showcase showdown at the end of the episode. This was actually a late addition to the game. It wasn't added until The Price is Right was expanded from 30 minutes to a full hour in 1975. The rule of the wheel is that it must do a complete spin all the way around in order to count. If it does not, the audience subjects the poor sap who tried to spin it to a <laughs> brutal round of booing, and they must try again. This rule came to bite Bob in the ass on October 2nd, 2003, when he attempted to assist a wheelchair-bound contestant by spinning the wheel for them. 
Unfortunately, it didn't go all the way around, prompting a round of savage booing and hissing from the audience at Bob, who later described this as the most humiliating moment of his 50-year game show hosting career. Um, amusingly, the big wheel has been the subject of serious scholastic study. The Royal Economic Society published a 26-page paper in 2002 titled To Spin or Not to Spin, Natural and Laboratory Results from the Price is Right. And they sought to calculate decisions that contestants make while spinning the wheel and found that the majority of time, contestants disregarded what would be advantageous mathematical statistics. In other words, it's hard to make rational decisions under pressure. I could have told you that without the use of a 26-page paper. (laughs) So the big wheel was not in the original Price's Right setup, but more surprising to me was that they went more than a decade before introducing everyone's favorite Price's Right game. Come on, Plinko. The game, which The Atlantic has referred to as, quote, basically a metaphor for life, debuted in 1983 you know the rules you drop a chip down a pegboard and it falls into one of nine spaces on the bottom each valued at a different dollar amount contestants played for 25 grand when it debuted making plinko the first game on the show to offer that kind of big money now you can win up to 50 grand speaking of big money and plinko the chips used to play the game uh well they kind of belong in a museum folks there are only 10 plinko chips in existence what Five for the show and five as backup. According to BuzzFeed's interview with then-executive producer Mike Richards, these chips are extremely expensive to make, and they're delivered to the set whenever they're used on a towel, not unlike a holy relic. (laughs) And when they're not being used, they're locked away in a box after every taping so they can't be stolen or copied. These are top secret. The all-time Plinko record is held by a man named Ryan Glass, who appeared on the show in January of 2018, he netted $38,850. And then on the flip side, Price is Right history was made in March of 1996 when someone dropped five chips on the Plinko board and they all landed on zero. That person lost their faith that day. (laughs) But perhaps the most notorious Plinko moment occurred in 2008 when the producers of The Price is Right made a very costly mistake. They were filming a commercial to show how easy it was for contestants to hit the grand prize $10,000 space on the Plinko machine, and they rigged it so that it would hit ten grand every single time. Then, when it came time to film the next episode of the show, the producers forgot to reset the Plinko board, so when the Plinko board was brought out, people were amazed when this one lucky contestant hit the center $10,000 space three times in a row. According to one Redditor who was in the audience that day, everyone was screaming. Drew was literally jumping up and down. Then a producer burst onto the stage and frantically stopped the player from dropping her fourth (laughs) chip. Because at this point, they finally figured out what had happened. Uh, Producers reshot the segment, but the Plinko player still walked away with 30 grand. They honored their screw up. That's one thing to say for the producers on the show. Whenever there was a screw up on their end, they always honored it, you know, in favor of the contestants. So... Walked away with thirty grand plus an extra three grand from when they reshot it. So there you go. Yeah, not well, bad. And while we're on the topic of costly mistakes on air, uh, there have been a few. Once the producers read off the wrong brand of a computer a contestant was supposed to value, uh, so they just wound up just giving it to them. During a taping in 2011, one of the prize models knocked over a big screen TV worth over a grand. 
Uh, and there have been many games over the years that accidentally revealed the actual retail price of an item far too early, either through mechanical or human error. But the costliest mistake, aside from Plinko Gate, occurred in 2015 when one of the Price is Right models, who we will, who will remain nameless, charitably by us, accidentally gave away a car valued at $21,960. She pulled the wrong card away, revealing the actual price too soon, and the unofficial law of the game is that whenever the crew screws up, the contestant wins. The poor model, who had been on the show for six years by that point, gave an interview to Inside Edition in which she described the mortifying situation, saying, I thought, A, this is my last day at work. B, they're going to take it out of my paycheck every week. I thought this was it for me. But thankfully, she added that Drew could not have been more supportive. Same with the producers. Hmm. Yeah, so if you ever think you screwed up at your job, think about, was it a $21,000 mistake? <laughs> Almost twenty-two. Yeah. It's understandable that accidents occur simply by the law of statistics because there are a hilarious number of games. A total of 112 have been played on this show. Uh, by your count, I trust you. And there are 79 are in current rotation. There have been some games that have been axed for technical problems, poor audience reaction, or it's just too difficult. Is this the most complex game show? I would argue yes. Mm. The many games that are played on the show are stored in the CBS lot and must be hauled out and prepared for quick entry when needed. Some of these cost upwards of 30 grand to build and are so big they need jumbo jet style tuggers to push them into place on the set. They're tested frequently, since many of them have amazingly complex electronics behind them, and a failure during taping would result in a lengthy delay in front of an impatient and presumably intoxicated audience. Do they let you bring booze in? Or do you just no, got yeah, pregame on the know. sidewalk? I imagine there's like tailgate parties in the Price is Right parking lot. The show has a special effects and lighting crew who examines every electronic aspect of the show. Large, custom-made consoles sit on stage with a crew operating them, not unlike Mission Control. Basically, it's like a concert, right? They've got flash pots, explosives, they've got fire, breakaway sets, mechanical props, buckets of water to be dumped on the models. Uh, because, as we'll get into later, this show treats models like firewood. Uh, the <laughs> but the plethora of these games actually meant that Drew Carey had his work cut out for him when he took over as host in 2007. Yes, but first let's talk about Bob's retirement, which he announced on October 31st, 2006, Halloween. A scary day indeed for Price is Right fans. On June 15th, 2007, an 83-year-old Bob Barker hosted his last episode of The Price is Right, which aired both during the regular daytime spot and again in primetime as the lead-in to the 34th annual Daytime Emmys. <laughs> in a very poetic touch, the final three pricing games played on Bob Barker's final show were the first three games played on his very first show, Aww. but in reverse order. So he went out on the way he came in. I love that. But Bob nearly stayed on the show even longer. He offered to delay his retirement because CVS had a really tough time finding a host. A number of candidates were auditioned and all hosted a mock non-broadcast episode with audience members who volunteered to stay after a you know, taping for one of the Bob Barker episodes. These hopefuls included George Hamilton, Ian Ziering, Mario Lopez, John O'Hurley, and former Double Dare host Mark Summers. And this is amazing. Mark Summers was reportedly Bob Barker's choice for his successor, but the network shut it down 
saying that Mark was too short. Oh, although he did go on to help host a traveling version of The Price is Right. Um, a non-televised version, I think. Um, Antiques Roadshow host Mark Wahlberg, not that Mark Wahlberg, different Mark Wahlberg, also <laughs> lost out, supposedly because the network thought he wasn't attractive enough. But he's also gone on to host the touring version of Price is Right Live. And this is Cole. The show's announcer at the time, Rich Fields, desperately wanted a shot at auditioning, but CVS adamantly denied him the opportunity, and he left the show a few years later. Rosie O'Donnell was also rumored for the job, but she very publicly took herself out of the running. The official version was that she would have to leave her home in the East Coast and move to California for the gig, but the real reason is supposedly the fact that CBS received a ton of hate mail once her name was leaked. Kind of chalk that up to good old-fashioned homophobia or sexism or both. Finally, Drew Carey was offered the gig in the summer of 2007. Then CBS chairman Les Moonves was impressed when watching Drew host the primetime game show Power of Ten. And Drew uh, originally turned this gig down, just like Bob Barker before him. And the network began aggressively courting him. I, I, I say aggressive. They sent him a package with a gift that Drew assumed would be an iPhone, which had just been released. Some, you know, high-end bauble to try to curry his favor to host this daytime TV juggernaut. Hilariously, he opened the package and discovered that they tried to win him over with a freebie Price is Right t-shirt and mug. <laughs> Cheapskates. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, Drew took the gig, announcing it during an appearance on The David Letterman Show, which I think is very appropriate considering Letterman was seen as the king of late night and Bob Barker the king of daytime TV, at least on CBS. And on October 15th, 2007, just under a year after Bob announced his retirement, Drew Carey made his debut on The Price is Right stage. Yeah, and they really kind of greased the wheels for him, which is admirable because you're coming in these the enormous shoes to fill the legacy of the show. So uh, longtime producer Roger Dobkowitz, Dobkowitz, Roger, Roger Dobbs, sure. R. Dobbs, uh, <laughs> he said it was a conscious decision to ensure that for the first few months of Drew's tenure, plenty of people would win the show to help audiences warm up to him. He later wrote in a post on his personal blog, I completely ignored the prize budget for the first couple of months. I scheduled easy games with obvious right and wrong price combinations so that more contestants could go home as winners. He just accomplished his mission a little too well. By January 2008, he said, I was about $700,000 over budget. <laughs> In like four months of Drew's tenure, he's <laughs> almost up to like three quarters of a million dollars above budget. And uh, with the network unwilling to fork over the cash, he says they went into a period where we were forced to use tougher games and smaller cars. Sadly, it is probably not a coincidence that uh, Roger was fired from the show in 2008 after Carrie's first season wrapped up. And that dude had been at the show since the beginning. 36 That's years. Cold. Longer cold. than Bob. Show goes over budget one season. Ooh. <laughs> Cruel, she's a cruel mistress, the big wheel. Uh, <laughs> but it's 2A Street. Audiences needed time to adjust to Drew. Drew needed time to adjust to the new gig. The show was done live to tape uh, under Bob, as in what you see is what gets printed, like on the studio floor, off the cuff, in real time. Drew struggled with this, reportedly, which is surprising considering that he had just come from the 
improv centric whose line is it anyway but hey, he's mostly like the he's like the straight man on that show right uh, he's pretty funny as the host but yeah yeah well he's no bob barker sorry right true. model of all-american masculinity <laughs> <laughs> animal lover black belt sue well navy vet well, we get into some of sexual this less predator. Savory. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there it is. Sex pest. Uh, <laughs> so early on in Drew's tenure, tapings had begun to stretch closer to ninety minutes, and with seventy-five over seventy-five games with over seventy-five sets of rules, the producers tried to help him out by only featuring six complicated games a week for a while. So they went out on a limb for Drew. This brings us to perhaps my favorite anecdote of this episode. They're kind of might be a little bit of a feud between Bob Barker and Drew Carey, or at least there was, but then again, maybe I'm projecting. Bob has admitted that he's not exactly been a loyal viewer since he hung up his microphone and rarely tunes into the Carey-led prices right. I'm right there with you, Bob. But in July 2010, Barker told TMZ's cameraman, Drew does the show differently than I did. I tried to make the show really exciting. He doesn't do that. He just plays the games. That's, in my opinion, that's pretty unambiguous. But I guess hours later, Bob tried to explain himself on Entertainment Weekly. He said that he would never criticize Drew, CBS, or the Price is Right's producers because, quote, I have a sizable royalty that I am paid every year on the show that the show is on. I would be an absolute fool. I hope the show stays on for years. In other words, I love the show because I still get paid. As for his criticism of Drew, Bob Barker has said he's been charming and complimentary and he had me on the show to plug my book. To think that I would say anything derogatory about him is idiocy. Oh, I mean, OK, I guess we have. But you said I, it. <laughs> but yeah, but he's appeared on the show a few times, I think most recently for his 95th birthday, maybe one of his big birthdays. So I guess it's all water under the bridge. Um, there's something that Drew does on his version of the show that I think is very nice that I'd like to talk about. If contestants guess the actual value of an item rather than simply close to it, they get a cash bonus of $500. And this money is literally paid from Drew's pocket, like taken from his suit and out of his presumably quite generous salary. CBS calculated that by 2007, 10 years into his tenure, Drew had given away around $187,000 of his own salary that he doesn't have to do. And there's another cute thing that he does, too. Many of these games on the show still operate by old-school crank and pulley operators, and Drew always makes a point to introduce the crank operators on stage, since union rules dictate that if an employee's face is shown, they must receive more cash. So he always has them come out and say a quick hi, which I think is very nice. I agree. <laughs> Now, the show has had a number of celebrity guests over the years, and some of the more recent ones include Seth Rogen, Kristen Bell, Demi Lovato, Heidi Klum. You got your ex-boy banders and your real housewives, and even Snoop Dogg dropped a Plinko chip or two. But when we're talking about pre-fame stars appearing on The Price is Right, I really only got two, but they're good ones. The first is Vanna White, who went on the show in 1980, two years before she started flipping letters on The Wheel of Fortune. Sadly, though, she got the call to come on down. She never made it out of contestants row. So she never got to play any of the games. But then there's Aaron Paul, a.k.a. Breaking Bad's Jesse Pinkman, who made it onto the show and was extremely enthusiastic about it. 
A video of his 2000 performance surfaced a few years ago, and it's adorable. I encourage all Price is Right and or Breaking Bad fans to check it out. It went down shortly after he moved to L.A. to pursue acting, and he loses his damn mind when he finally <laughs> gets on camera. You can see him scream, you're the man, Bob! You're my idol! Before successfully placing the closest bid on a flat-top desk, and he made it all the way to the showcase showdown before going just a little too high. Just $132 oh. on a prize package worth over twenty-six grand, and it included a sports car. He was so close. You can't go over. That's the whole thing about the price is right as close as possible to the actual price without going over, and he went over by just $132. 13 years later, he was still pissed about it. He told Jay Leno that he was depressed for many, many months after this. I mean, wouldn't you be? Yeah. Especially if you're I mean, a struggling actor in L.A. Right. Although, I guess it meant we, he probably wouldn't have had the money to pay the taxes on all that. Oh, uh, good point. What do they do? You, I mean, can you, you say put no. It, well, can you put it on a payment program? Like, can you defer payments? Oh, maybe. Maybe there's some kind of... Yeah, that's a good point. They just break your legs right then and there. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your choice. You pay us or five minutes uh, in the alley with Vito. No, with Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> red or possibly black belt. Bob's just up there, like, limbering up. He's like, <laughs> trust me, I, you don't want to take the alley. As you meditate on that, we'll be right back with more Too Much Information after these messages. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. There are other non-celebrity-centric appearances that have gone down in the vast lore of the Price is Right-averse. 
For example, <laughs> one guy got famous by bidding $420 on every prize because... Uh, uh, did he win? F*** that guy. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. There's got to be a guy who did 69 for everything, right? Like, Yeah, probably. People are clever. <sighs> one of the most infamous incidents occurred in 1977 and involved a woman named Yolanda. This being in the late 70s, she was wearing a tube top, as was the fashion of the time. And when she got the call to come on down, she got so excited that the tube top slipped off, revealing too much for daytime. Uh, when Yolanda finally got to the podium on contestants' row, Bob couldn't help but saying, I've never had a welcome like this. <laughs> to, uh, during an appearance years later on Larry King Live, he said that was the most talked about single incident in the history of the show. That said... Coming on down with a wardrobe malfunction is rough, but it's better than not showing up at all. During the Barker years, a contestant named Patricia Bernard had an unfortunately timed bathroom break and completely missed the moment that her name was called. Oh, the cameras were scanning the audience looking for her and quickly noticed her husband running around trying to find where she'd gone. Oh my God. Can you imagine? You just couldn't hold it. Similar thing happened in 2019, but yeah, but there other there have been other times when people have missed the call. Uh, sometimes this was due to names being pronounced incorrectly. Other times due to the fact that taping had already started while people were still filling into the studio. Uh, there was a woman who was set to be married, and she was still getting used to her married name, so she forgot her own maiden name when it was called. And she was like, "There's no woman here by that name." No. Good thing California's so, a no-fault divorce state. <laughs> so that's all mildly awkward, but that's nothing compared to an incident that occurred in 2015. Daniel Perez is a comedian who'd lost her legs in an accident that occurred a decade earlier. During her appearance on The Price is Right, she was awarded a treadmill. The crowd went silent. Thankfully, Danielle Perez, being a comedian, had a sense of humor about it all. She told our former colleagues at People Magazine, I just thought, oh, this is perfect. You cannot write this. You cannot make this up. It's not even that I'm in a wheelchair. It's that I literally don't have feet. But I was so hopped up on all the cash and prizes and endorphins. You go and you just want to win. It doesn't matter what it is that you win. So, good perspective on it. It's tough to explain how dedicated these people are in the audience of The Price is Right. But here's an example that illustrates it quite well. Bob tells this story to the LA Times in 1990. I was talking to the audience once during a break in taping and a young woman in the audience began to have a baby. I turned to the studio pages and said, will you help her out? And this woman said, no, I don't want to go. You might call my name. <laughs> and I said, madam, we are not going to call any more names until you are on your way to the hospital. And just to wrap up this segment, there's the time that Mrs. Brady of the Brady Bunch had a car accident on the set of the show. Florence Henderson was the special guest, and she was supposed to sit in an SUV as it was driven onto the stage as part of one of the Price is Right's Mother's Day episodes. You know, she's one of the most famous TV moms of all time. The person behind the wheel got a little distracted by everything going on, the cameras and the lights and the crowd and Bob Barker and Mrs. Brady. It's too much. Something had to give, and he accidentally drove the SUV straight into the wall of the set at a breakneck two miles an hour. <laughs> Luckily, no one was hurt, and there was no severe damage to the car or the set or Mrs. Brady. Something similar happened, actually, with one of the models who was supposed to drive a sports car onto the set while they were filming, you know, to show it off and do the, like, Vanna White thing, except she drove it straight through a wall. 
she said she didn't realize that the car was a stick shift. Ooh. And this brings us to the topic of the Price is Right models, or Barker's Beauties, as they were informally known during Bob's tenure. They are, of course, the lovely ladies who pose with the prizes, a sort of proto-Vanna White gig, although they did add a dude in 2012. This is uh, difficult to talk about because this is where we get into the tales of Bob Barker being accused of sexual harassment many times over. There have been many unsavory stories that have spilled out of the tabloids since the mid-90s, and since 1996, I think six women were fired from The Price is Right, and they've all sued Bob, who is the executive producer of the show, for charges including sexual harassment, racial discrimination, and wrongful termination. I feel like it's only right, as we talk about the fun things about the show, to share some of these stories right now. The first story is that of Diane Parkinson, who left The Price is Right in 1993 after 18 years. At the time, it was said that she was leaving to pursue other interests, but the following year after she left in 1994, she filed a lawsuit against Bob Barker for sexual harassment. She alleged that Bob used force to coerce her into a three-year sexual relationship. She says that she slept with him for fear of losing her job, and upon her resignation, she received $1,000 a month in what she says was hush money. The producers claim this was severance pay. Bob Barker insists that this relationship with Diane was a consensual relationship. According to him, Diane, quote, volunteered to add some hanky-panky to his life. That's a quote. Thus ushering in, quote, a sexual revolution, thanks to his time with her. Good God. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I just said all that. Why would he put those quotes out? I again, What the crisis management firm? Right, yeah. I don't actually, I'm trying to remember what those quotes are from. I wonder if they're from a deposition, which would be even more insane. <laughs> Several other women associated with the show claim Diane was overly flirtatious and inappropriately touchy-feely with Barker, who was 70 years old at the time she resigned. Ultimately, she dropped her lawsuit, citing health problems, and her attorneys were fined two grand for her refusing to comply with legal questions that she deemed invasive. Ah, uh, the legal system. Yes. Um, <laughs> Truly no notes. So a number of people on the show kind of ganged up on Diane, but one person who refused to speak out against her was her fellow Barker Beauty model, Holly Hallstrom. She was dismissed from the show in September of 1995, after 19 years, supposedly because of 14 pounds she had gained due to a prescription medication she was taking. She later alleged that Barker actually fired her as if that wasn't bad enough. She alleged that she was fired because she refused to support Bob during the whole Diane Parkinson thing when she was accusing him of sexual harassment. Bob wanted her to go on talk shows and basically say that the whole thing with Diane was a fiction. Uh, she didn't want anything to do with it. She flat out said, I don't really want to testify under oath and basically perjure myself. Uh, she didn't want to get involved, and she says she was dismissed from the show as a result. Barker responded to all this by suing Holly for libel and slander, but dropped the suit 48 hours before the trial began. Holly Hallstrom countersued Bob for age, weight, and medical discrimination, wrongful termination, and malicious prosecution, and ultimately received a multi-million dollar settlement in October of 2005. During the nearly 10 years that this lawsuit was in courts, she spent all of her resources and savings, and at her lowest point, she sold her house and ended up living in her car. As she said in interviews regarding that period of her life, I refused to give up and let the evil old bastard win. 
and she has since started a foundation for individuals who have suffered wrongful or malicious conditions in the workplace and don't have the power or resources, financially or otherwise, to go up against powerful individuals or large corporations. Well, if you thought that was bad, (laughs) hang on. Uh, During a June 1988 taping of the show, model Janice Pennington was accidentally hit by a camera and knocked off the stage and into contestants' row six feet below. She suffered a concussion and a broken clavicle and was rushed unconscious to the hospital where she underwent two surgeries, one of which left one of her shoulders an inch shorter than the other. Because of the scars from her surgery, she was no longer allowed to wear a swimsuit on the show, and her modeling career suffered. She got a $1.3 million settlement for her injuries, and things seemed to be fine for another decade. Then in October of 2000, Janice was let go after 29 years on the show, which you think makes her the longest-serving Price is Right model? Yeah, she was there from the beginning. I mean, that's 29 years, a hell of a long time. And apparently, according to her, Bob didn't even say goodbye to her. She told the LA Times that she believed she was fired because she sided with Diane Parkinson in her wrongful termination deposition. Uh, Responding to the controversy just before his retirement in 2007, Bob Barker told USA Today, they have been such a problem. (laughs) Bob, buddy. (sighs) Oh, it gets worse. I I don't want to say anything about them. They were disgusting. I don't want to mention them. (sighs) Fire his PR person. uh, Or at least get him one. It doesn't seem like he has one. Uh, but even after he left the show, models were still mistreated. After a model named Brandy Cochran became pregnant with twins, she reported that producers started saying things like, wide load coming through. <sighs> she was ultimately fired after taking maternity leave in 2008, which is illegal, and she filed a lawsuit against the show in 2010, in which she won over $8 million. Yeah. Damn. well we can't end on the lowest moment in the show's history so instead let's talk about the high point a truly stunning bit of gameplay i'd like to discuss the most sublime moment in all of price is right history it was during an episode that aired on december 16th 2008 a man by the name of terry kneese i think is his name managed to guess the exact value of an elaborate showcase showdown package something that hadn't ever occurred during the show's run. There was an RV, a karaoke machine, a pool table, and he got it right on the nose, which, like, should not be possible. (laughs) And the production crew agreed. They suspended production for 45 minutes while they tried to figure out what had happened because everyone assumed this was a result of cheating. So you mentioned earlier, the show's longtime producer-director, Roger Dobke, however you say his name, (laughs) he had just been fired. And they thought that maybe he was sabotaging the production out of revenge. And I, if you got to watch this clip online, the best part is Drew Carey's unenthusiastic reaction. He later explained, everybody thought someone had cheated. We just fired Robert Dobkowitz and all the fan groups were so upset about it. I remember asking, are we ever going to air this? And nobody could see how we could. So I thought the show was never going to air. I thought somebody had cheated us and I thought the whole show was over. I thought they were going to shut us down. And I thought I was going to be out of a job, which, I mean, dial it back. 
<laughs> Esquire wrote a really fascinating piece about this incident in 2010, and Terry Kniece, the lucky winner, claimed that he obsessively watched the show with like a religious fervor, and he'd merely memorized the value of the prizes, since the show did repeat things on occasion. And so he had a rough idea of the value of these items, and to round it out, he supposedly picked the number 743, which was the family PIN number, consisting of, like, birthdays and anniversary dates. I forget. What was the number? 27,743. Oh, okay. I believe so. But if you think Terry's obsessive viewing is strange, things are about to get even weirder. There was a documentary made about this whole incident in 2017 called The Perfect Bid, The Contestant Who Knew Too Much. And it centers around another Price is Right superfan named Ted Slauson, who's been studying the game since the 70s and even developed a homemade computer program to train him on price values. And he started going to tapings regularly and was even called as a contestant once, but surprisingly didn't win. But during his repeated trip to the tapings, he'd call out the correct answers from the audience and help contestants win. You know, that's part of the game is that the audience can yell out prices and that's allowed. And I guess he'd become something of kind of like a legend in the Price is Right community. Like when he said something, you you, you listened. Hmm. Uh, so he claims that he called out the correct bid to this Terry guy during the showcase and Terry listened to him and that's why he won. Terry disputes that. Two nerds, butting heads. Who's telling the truth? The world may never know. But following this whole kerfuffle, the Price is Right's producers began changing the diversity of the items on the show, going so far as changing the options packages on cars that they were offering, which impacts the price. So all in all, all this was just to make it less likely that a contestant could just memorize prices from watching the show over a long period. Well, we've just about come to the end of our time exploring The Price is Right, but given that it's such a numbers-based show, I wanted to share a quick by-the-numbers lightning round of stats that I personally found interesting, and if you've listened this far, you may too. Many of these are courtesy of Deadline or CBS themselves. More than 9,900 episodes of The Price is Right have been taped. Over 68,000 contestants have been instructed to come on down. More than $300 million in money and prizes have been given away over the last 50 years. More than 8,400 vehicles have been given away. First was a Chevrolet Vega, valued at 2,746. <gasps> 746. Oh. Oh. Uh, the most expensive was an Audi R8, valued at $157,300. More than 2.4 million people have attended a studio taping of The Price is Right in person. On two separate occasions, a 99-year-old contestant has been known to come on down, the oldest age of any contestant on the show. And in 2008, a California teacher won $1,153,908 during the Price is Right Million Dollar Spectacular Primetime Special, which makes him the record holder for the most won on the show. But the record for regular daytime play was broken in 2019 by Mike Stober, who won close to $263,000 in cash and prizes. And I think that's about all I got. Heigl, if, unless you got something... Uh, uh, I just, you know, I hope we've gotten you all as close as we can without going over. <laughs> well, after that, <laughs> I guess there's nothing left to say, but help control the pet population. Have your pets spayed or neutered. <laughs> My name's Jordan Runtog. And I'm Alex Heigl. We'll catch you next time. Two 
Much Information was a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The supervising producer is Mike Johns. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex Heigl. With original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.